This is News Talk 980 CKNW. Thanks so much for being with us on this beautiful Sunday morning. Well, if somebody said to you, what do you know about the Vancouver safety deposit vault robberies of 1977? You might give them a bit of a blank stare and say, I don't know all that much about them. Well, my next guest does, and he has written a book inspired by real events. And Don Levers joins us on the line to talk a bit more about that. Don, good morning to you. Good morning, Jill. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Uh, First, this book took you a little while to write. Yeah, life got in the way. I started uh, working on it in 1987. Of course, I lived in Vancouver uh, in the 70s and had heard about the robbery in uh, 77, and it always fascinated me because these professional thieves decided to, uh, after they robbed the vault, fly out of town and were caught at the airport. And it's and so you were inspired by by the story. So how much of it? How did you did you dive in as far as doing research to come up with with a book that was inspired by the real events? In in eighty seven, I started uh, uh, working on it. I'd written a children's book a couple of years earlier called Ogopogo, the Misunderstood Lake Monster, and uh, the the whole idea of this story had cropped up again in, in the eighty six eighty seven when I was during Expo. And uh, so I went to the Vancouver Public Library one day to ask what information they had, and the librarian took me to a file cabinet and said, here's everything you need to know. And and there was every headline that had been involved uh, with the robbery from day one. That sounds like it would be a lengthy uh, visit to the library. I I thought it was going to be a long time because I thought I was going to have to spend hours on microfiche, but the drawer that she took me at took me to, in fact, had a uh, file folder full of the actual headlines. And from that, what made you decide, rather than writing a nonfiction account of what happened and writing the story that way, what made you decide to make it a book of fiction? When I started to do it, I actually thought it would make a great movie. And I started writing it as a, uh, a screenplay. But I knew nothing about screenwriting, uh, and so... I fumbled through it and uh, worked on it a while. And uh, so then in talking to uh, CBC uh, Television one day, I presented to them as a, as a concept. And uh, one of the producers uh, said there was something like it happening in Toronto at the time, so they were going to pass. But one of the producers says, well, why don't you write it as a book? So I took his advice and started working on it then. Unfortunately, I was transferred from uh, Kelowna to Victoria, and then uh, I ended up in my own business for 17 years, so life kind of got in the way of finishing it, and finally, starting last June, I I managed to go back and start through my handwritten notes and uh, tried to see if I could get into WordPerfect again, but that wasn't available, so I started rewriting it last uh, June. So you rewrote it from the start? Yes. And did it change much when you rewrote it? The concept, the story was always finished in my head, basically, all the way back to uh, 1987. I had the whole scenario laid out. The thing that, uh, you know, I'm not uh, condoning uh, robbing banks or bank vaults, but um, it always intrigued me why these guys, professional thieves, would have uh, pulled off this perfect robbery where they drilled through 34 inches of concrete, uh, used a thermal lens to cut through four inches of armor plating and uh, ransacked 1,200 safety deposit boxes 
and made a clean getaway. And they were discovered as a result of one of the suitcases being so heavy that a baggage attendant couldn't lift the bag. When it was opened, they found millions of dollars worth of gold, loot, and jewelry. And one of the suspects was arrested right then and there on the plane. Wow. And it just shows what a different time, because this was uh, the late 70s. Imagine if you tried to do that at a security check at the airport today. (laughs) That's part of my story. Now, I moved the story up into the mid-80s, and the the question was, could you or I, uh, you know, do something like this, or could you talk somehow or other three of your best friends into pulling off the heist of the century in Canada? And uh, that's what uh, that's what intrigued me because uh, there was a robbery in um, in England at the Baker Street um, um, vaults where they tunneled under the ground. There was another one in Nice, Paris, where they did the same thing. Both of these uh, groups of thieves were caught. So we always wonder, and we see those stories about criminals that do dumb things, and this was one of them. And uh, uh, they could have got away with this if they just decided to drive out of town. <laughs> or use two suitcases instead of one. <laughs> well, they had actually had, the police recovered a total of nine bags uh, between, because another a couple of the suspects were arrested in Winnipeg uh, while they were on a plane, and uh, they recovered nine bags of loot. So they were dispersed among different things. But when you're stealing 100 uh, ounces of gold and, uh, and uh, filling your bags with, with uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars worth of, um, of bills, it, doesn't, it takes uh, a lot of it to fill that up to make it uh, worth uh, 80 or 90 pounds. Mm-hmm. And, and when you talk about them as well as just four average guys uh, leading ordinary lives, how, how true is that to what actually happened? No, the, the people that did it were uh, had been involved in in uh, robberies in the past. Um, in fact, one of the gentlemen that was involved in the heist uh, in '77, in 2015, he was arrested as a suspect in a robbery in Montreal uh, for some armored car heists. Hmm. And he's now and he's now in his 60s. So you get, once you get that in your blood, it just stays with you. <laughs> so the. Concept being that you know, uh, I think you know we, we all we see movies like Ocean's Eleven or any of those movies, and we, we hope that the, we like to think the guy gets away with it, and uh, not because we're in favor of the robberies or anything, but the story itself, we, we like to see them get away with it. Um, and uh, so here again, it was the fact that four ordinary average guys, relatively intelligent, would they make the same mistake? that the real criminals made. And I tried to go through every step of the operation that they would go through in finding things like thermal lances and cutting machines and coring machines. And over the course of the research and talking to people, it was amazing what people will tell you when they're writing a book. When I was uh, asking about coring machines, one of the gentlemen that I talked to at one of the companies said, Am I going to have to start reading the newspaper to see if anything like this really happens? <laughs> oh, because they thought that you were doing research maybe for your own little project. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, but trying to find, for, for people like you and I, Jill, um, where are we going to find this stuff? How are we going to get it? How are we going to make it so that, we're, that it's not traceable? And then once we've got it, 
I don't know about you, but I don't know any senses that would be able to um, take my loot and give me 20 cents or 30 cents on the dollar. So <laughs> what are you going to do with it now that you've got it all? Yeah, exactly. And, uh, so uh, the idea being that you put it in storage for a while and uh, just sit on it and try to go on with your normal lives. Mm-hmm. And especially uh, in, in today, too, when uh, things are much more uh, tech-savvy and much more online and, and privacy is, is a bit more difficult. Yes, and, and one of the interesting things about the vault is uh, four months before the actual heist, the police understood that there was something that was going to be happening, and they warned the vault to do something about it. They decided at the time that uh, a, an alarm system was going to be too expensive, it was going to be, I think it was $1,200 in 1977, and it was going to cost them $50 a month to monitor it. And they said, this place is impregnable. We got 34 inches of concrete, uh, including uh, four inches of armor-plated steel. Nobody's going to get in here. And very similar to some of the other robberies they, um, where it took place, they climbed the uh, fire escape, got in through a window, went down into the boiler room, and drilled and cut their way through into the vault. The vault people didn't even know that it had been robbed until Monday morning. And when the vault people showed up at the door, they noticed a little bit of uh, light rust around the main vault door because of the moisture from the cutting and uh, thought it was strange. And when they opened the vault, they found this vault that was totally ransacked. The police, when they investigated it, uh, they were wading through ankle-deep uh, loot that was left on the floor. Uh, interesting thing was that one of the police thought he had, policemen thought he had stepped on a piece of rubble, uh, looked at his shoe. It wasn't rubble, it was a diamond. <laughs> so they had left a lot of loot on the floor. And this story went on in the Vancouver papers well into the 1980s because there was a lot of people who claimed more than was in there. There was a lot of people who didn't come forward to claim goods because some of the things were probably less than legitimate that uh, were left in the vault. Uh, fascinating uh, details. Uh, how was it putting it doing the writing process? Like you said, it started back in 87, uh, involved a rewrite. Uh, how was it to finally get the entire story the way you wanted to tell it uh, into the book? Well, Back in 87, it was handwritten, there was no internet, it was, uh, as I mentioned, it went from handwriting to WordPerfect, and when I started on it again this last June, the uh, uh, internet was uh, was fantastic, and Google Maps, and, and being able to trace some of the routes that I did, and in fact, uh, being able to go right down the back alley of the, uh, of the vault building uh, on Google without having to go back down to Vancouver and do the research. So I had found that so much help, so very helpful. Um, in 87, when I was there, I was able to get right into the vaults, and um, I got pictures on my website showing the inside of the vault in 87, the, the scorched walls, the empty safety deposit boxes. Uh, and uh, so I found that whole thing to be very uh, fascinating in 87, and, and uh, I made another trip down there in May of this year to uh, just to check a few things. The, the basement is closed off now, but, uh, you know, the, the vault building is still there. And they've actually got the main vault door from downstairs uh, mounted on the wall of the building now. 
Well, it's a, it's a great story, and uh, your book has it, uh, again, inspired by the real events. Uh, do you have any readings coming up or anything that you need to tell people about? Yeah, I do, as a matter of fact. And uh, in, um, I've been able to... Uh, I'm launching the book in uh, Kelowna because that's where the main characters will come from. And I've got a, a reading... Uh, not a reading, but I've got a signing at uh, Mosaic Books on uh, August the 19th. And uh, I've also been able to uh, get a couple of uh, book signings at a couple of the wineries in the Okanagan and Kamloops, both the Dirty Laundry in Summerland and uh, Monty Creek Winery in Kamloops and They've been more than helpful. I've got uh, some dates coming up in Vancouver in uh, at chapters in September. So the response from bookstores uh, generally has been very good, and people like yourself taking an interest in the story. And, and the fact that it's a, a true story in Vancouver that nothing's ever been written about or, or there's never been a movie or a book about it, um, where there's been movies on the uh, Baker Street robbery in, in England and the Society General heist from uh, Nice, France. And uh, just this year, they made a, another movie about uh, another one of the uh, robberies in England that was done by a bunch of 70-year-olds. So I was amazed that there was never anything done in the 30 years while I was sort of in hiatus of writing it. All right. Well, it is all there now. Don, thank you so much for joining us and congratulations on finishing it. And uh, people can come out to the readings. But thank you so much for being here this morning. Jill, I appreciate the opportunity. All right. That is uh, Don Levers. He is the author of Loot for the Taking. If you want the dates on the readings or to learn anything more about this, you can go to his website, lootforthetaking.com. All of the information is there if you are interested. Uh, We also have a copy of the book that I would like to give to one lucky listener. So after hearing the highlights of the story, if you're interested in getting a copy of the book, the only uh, thing is, you do have to come and pick it up from our uh, studios, well, from the reception desk here at CKNW. So if you're in the Vancouver area and you can come pick it up from reception, we are located in the TD Tower on the corner of Georgia and Howe. All you have to do is send me an email to Weekend News. Uh, send it to weekendnews at cknw.com. Put loot, loot for the taking, vault robbery, anything like that in the subject line. So I know that's what you are looking for. Your name and number in the body of the email. And I will choose one lucky listener after I sign off from the show at 10 o'clock this morning. So there you have it. Send me an email to weekendnews at cknw.com if you want to get your hands on a copy of the book. We'll take a short break before we are back to wrap up the show. Vancouver's News, Vancouver's Talk. This is News Talk 980. CKNW.